Greetings, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to Ideas Don't Bleed. I'm supposed to say a bunch of stuff. I'm not going to say it. My name is Matthew Rosenberg. I could do it. I could do it. It's a comics no, we're not podcast doing it. presented by Ashcan Press. We're not doing it Featuring anymore. Matthew Rosenberg and the Supple Boys. You say we're not doing it anymore. It's like part of engage, engaging with the audience. It's important for this branding. Is, I'm not really doing We're not doing branding anymore. Guys. Oh. We're not doing, we're not even, we may not even call this podcast the same thing by the time this one airs. That's we're not going to, we're going to change. It's not going to get us downloads. Can we change the name? Uh, this is a comics <laughs> podcast, very professional comics podcast. Uh, I'm Matthew. They're Ethan and Griffin. Uh, Gr- Griffin probably Hello. won't speak because there's, oh, he spoke because there's a guy hey. painting his bedroom right now. Um, <laughs> yeah. He seems cool. He seems cool. He, seems, he might come he on. He seems like a good guy. Yeah. But. Mr. Painter is not our wonderful guest today. We mm-hmm. are joined by a very wonderful writer, a a jack of all trades. Uh, Mr. Benjamin Percy is here. Yay! Hey, thanks for having me on. Uh, <laughs> thank you for coming. We were going to do this last week and I blew it. So I'm happy that you decided to come back. Uh, I would not have, just so you know. <laughs> that would have been just me. Uh, that's not a power dynamic thing. That's a uh, I'm an idiot thing. So I appreciate it. I guess we'll just jump right in. My first question, uh, this is sort of a weird question because I always ask it to everybody in a very broad way. But with you, it feels much more loaded and we can get into that. <laughs> but uh, why comics? Why do you make comics? What do you like about comics? What do you? Wh- why are you doing these? So I don't, can't remember the first novel that I read. Maybe it was The Hobbit or The Mouse and the Motorcycle or The House with a Clock in Its Walls. I don't know. Uh, that's, you know, lost to the ether. But I do remember the first comic. Uh, it was an issue of Man-Thing. Nice. You know, the tagline being, whoever knows fear burns at the touch of <laughs> man uh, And on the cover, there was, you know, the big shaggy mossy creature going through the swamp clutching a baby and there's a search party in the background after him and and i i know that was the first comic that i bought because i read it over and over and over again until it fell apart in my hands uh and that's true of all the comics that i bought back then uh at the time i was living in crow oregon small town outside of eugene and it was a town so small they didn't have a grocery store that a mercantile and it had wide board floors oh, wow. and lacquered fish and deer mounts on the wall. And my mom would deposit me at the base of the spinner rack. <laughs> if I was good, I got to bring home a comic. I never wanted, you know, chocolate and bubble gum. I wanted capes and spandex. Mm-hmm. So we'd go shopping. I'd bring home a comic. And we moved around a lot. Uh, I never had like a regular shop. I would buy instead almost all my comics from Spinner X or from garage sales. And I have no idea as a result of that what 
any continuity is in <laughs> the Marvel Universe. But these, this was my formative reading experience uh, in many ways. And um, it was a form of escapism. It was also kind of like a constant companion mm-hmm. in that as I moved from place to place, I still had this comics collection that I was dragging with me. And mm-hmm. I never thought I could write comics. I never thought I could be a writer, generally speaking. Um, maybe that had to do with, you know, where I grew up. I never met a writer. Mm-hmm. Oftentimes I was like surrounded by restaurant workers or ranchers or loggers. Uh, but I, you know, I was always best at English and uh, when I headed off to college and I kind of had an existential crisis because what I had declared as my major wasn't working out and I almost dropped out. I went and worked at uh, Glacier National Park for a while mm-hmm. and I was the gardener there, which is an odd thing to be. I know it. <laughs> <laughs> and I was keeping you planted fruit. all those trees and everything. And, and so I was working there and I was keeping a journal for the first time and I was writing down, not just what was happening around me, but just, you know, images or ideas and Mm. poems and whatever else. And I was also crushing pretty hard on a waitress who worked at many glacier lodge. So I started writing some of those poems for her and love letters and songs, even, uh, one day we were watching the sunset over the Rockies and she said, you should be a writer. And I said, okay. <laughs> and so, I ended up going back to college and I signed up for a creative writing class. And I, was in, and, and I was all in. Like I never looked back. I just, you know, caught me like a fever. And I was, you know, we can get more into this because I don't want to monologue forever, but just the idea that I was, you know, at, at that point, writing short stories and then working on novels and then everything's been incremental, you know, sort of building outward from there, you know, and working in comics, podcasts, TV, film, like just, you know, slowly having this sort of expanded notion of what storytelling um, is, you know, learning different art, a different arts, adding to my arsenal of literary techniques and comics has been, you know, a real career highlight. Um, from the time I dove in to now working on Wolverine, my favorite character. Yeah, I, I sort of wanted, I sort of touched on that at the start. You, more than any guest we've had on here, uh, wear just about every hat in writing. <laughs> you've written short story collections, you've written novels, podcasts, um, award-winning podcasts, which makes this very intimidating for us because we are... <laughs> Never going to win an award for this podcast. Um, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> no, I'm pretty sure. And uh, you know, you, you've written, you've written TV, you've written a movie, uh, comics, and I, I'm, I'm always sort of intrigued because I feel like before I wrote comics, I sort of just thought writing was writing, and that that it was all, <clears throat> you know, if you're you're good at it. If you've got a good story to tell, it's a good story. And, and the more uh, I do it and the more I read and sort of study comics and other things, like the more they're, they're very different skill sets. Each, each different medium is completely a different skill set that you sort of have to relearn and uh, study 
why do you move around so much from from medium to medium? What is it about that 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 draws you? No, I mean, nomadic person keeps things interesting at the desk. You know, Uh, I never feel as though I'm in a rut. Uh, And Mm -hmm. if I ever get stuck on a project, you know, if I'm trying to figure out a plot point or a character's motivation, I can just walk away and work on something else uh, that I have in the transom and and come back to it later with renewed enthusiasm and a fresh perspective. Um, But the idea of like working across not just different mediums, but different genres is that I always have a hurdle before me. You know, I always have like some goal uh, sometimes it's a stylistic goal, you know, like I want to write this story in the first person plural so that it's a we, we, we sort of a collective voice, mm-hmm. or I want to write a story that's uh, in a mosaic design or a modular design so that it's sort of scrambled up and, and comes together in, in this holistic way by the end or, or whatever else. Like, yes, every time you jump into a new arena, right, you have to learn this whole new skill set. I mean, an example of that comes from writing that podcast you're referring to, right? So the first podcast I wrote was Wolverine the Long Night, 10-episode series, followed up by Wolverine the Lost Trail, another 10-episode series. And, the, you know, as excited as I was about that, uh, I really had no idea what I was getting into. And then how do you translate a visual medium, comics, into audio storytelling? Uh, Like, how do you write a fight scene in audio and not totally confuse your audience? (laughs) you know how do you orient your audience and instantly like if you open up a page right in a comic you know if it's sunny or rainy Mm -hmm. or snowy you know whether they're in a living room uh or a jungle you know you know all of these things just through the mise-en-scene that is transferred into your eyeballs in a half second uh but what about when you're listening, it's really easy to be disoriented in an audio sphere and blah, 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 blah. I could keep going. In other words, I jumped into this project head first and was like, holy shit, I have no idea how to do this. Uh, and I, I like that. I like that because it always makes me, I always feel like I'm sort of kicking open new doors in my brain, like mm-hmm. finding new rooms in the mansion of my mind or something. And, and I think that that carries over to everything else that I'm doing. We're like writing comics makes me a better novelist. Mm-hmm. Being a novelist makes me a better comics writer. In turn. Are you worried about running out of rooms? Cause there's not that many more ways to tell stories. You've kind of done a lot of them. Oh, well, uh, you know, next up is the full body tattoo narrative. It's going to be great. I'm very excited for you to get into that. I haven't really dipped my toe into saucy limericks yet. (laughs) Okay. Watch out. I mean, obviously, that's what we've all thought was coming with saucy limericks. (laughs) But I I sort of thought that would be in Wolverine. I thought Wolverine was going to just break into saucy limericks. That's actually how I'm going to end the series is he's at the (laughs) green You know, the, the bar on Krakoa, and yeah. it's just, it's open mic night. <laughs> and he's like, this is, this is my passion, guys. To pop, not his claws, but his quills. Love and, it. Uh, oh. And cheer. That's pretty cheer good. Healthy limericks and erotic haiku. <laughs> Everyone's confused. He's crying. It's like a real weird, disorienting right. scene. They're very emotional for him. Yep. Um, in in doing my research, which is minimal <laughs> for this podcast, <laughs> most of my research is, yeah, I've, I read that person's stuff. 
uh, I can talk I mean, to you've them. Been, I've noticed you out in the yard with the binoculars. It's yeah, cool. <laughs> <laughs> you. I was like, I'm going to go all in on this. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to eat what he eats. Thanks for I'm handing gonna... me that towel the other day when I got sure. out of the shower. Yeah, <laughs> on the ground. Slippery floor. That, That's it. That week we had to delay the recording was because rosenberg got caught in your yard we had to get him out of, <laughs> yeah. out of it's like it's been prison. like a movie parasite uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Your basement. exactly it's um, a good transition into questions about your morning routine uh, <laughs> no I, I i did some i did some research and i i i came across something that that intrigued me in you wrote a short story collection you were a short story in a collection called refresh refresh and then it became a graphic novel, but you didn't write the graphic novel. Is that correct? It was a weird situation in that. So I have this short story of Fresh Refresh, which is kind of like my, you know, if I was Journey, that's my don't stop believing. Like Beautiful. that's the story <laughs> that will outlive me. Uh-huh. And the mm. people to this day, even though I published in like 2004 or five or something like that, you know. People still come up to me, at least in the literary circles, and they're like, refresh, refresh. <laughs> literary circles are intense, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Lots of, you know, the, they, when they take off the ascot, things can really get <laughs> um, but, but anyways, that story, right, I, I have a friend named James Ponsel. I've known him for a long time, since 2003, when we were both roommates at the Swanee Writers Conference when we were baby writers and our biggest dream was being published in a, you know, mid-tier literary journal. Uh, And he went into film and TV and, you know, I was writing short stories and working on novels at the time. And so he, he, you know, read Refresh, Refresh, the short story in the Paris Review. And he's like, dude, I really want to make this into a movie. And so we worked really closely together in the screenplay. I mean, he wrote the screenplay, but I just was consulting with him the whole time. I had no idea how to write a script at that sure. point. And and then we started, you know, thinking that we might actually shoot this thing. Like we, he took it to Sundance, the screenwriter's lab, and he won the prize there. The, I think it's called the Lynn Auerbach Award mm-hmm. for it. And, uh, and then we got, as a result of that, like free film from uh, Lucas, maybe... I can't remember exactly. A sound from Skywalker Ranch, like all these little additives, you know, yeah. to make it more likely that the film would actually get made. And then uh, we went out to Oregon. We scouted a bunch of locations and talked to caterers and da 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 da. And it seemed like it was about to happen, but then like shit just started to fall apart, as things often do with films. Mm-hmm. Um, and we couldn't secure that last bit of funding. Um, but in the meantime, Danica Novgorodov, who's an amazing artist and who went to school with James at Yale, she read the screenplay and she was like, oh, I really would like to make this into a, my next project. Mm-hmm. So she traveled out to Oregon to the locations and um, we were in just constant correspondence as she built up this story, which was based on both the screenplay and the short story. Uh-huh. <laughs> so it was kind of like a bizarre blender of situations and, that and you didn't you didn't have any comics you'd never done comics work at that point no that was my first involvement with with comics uh-huh. did that did that trigger something for you were you like oh i could do this or was that already something you were thinking about or yeah, the big trigger point for comics was actually as a result of uh scott snyder oh yeah so 
Scott and I used to be professors in mm -hmm. a previous life. Um, so he was teaching on the East Coast. I was teaching in the Midwest. And I was teaching Voodoo Heart, which comics nerds might not know. That's Snyder's book of short stories. Sure. And he was teaching Refresh, Refresh. And so we started corresponding and got friendly, you know, by email, over the phone, just bullshitting quite a bit. And then he, he published this short story in an anthology called Who Will Save Us Now? And it's a prose anthology, but it's all about superheroes. Yeah. And so he did a, you know, I, I might be screwing the exact circumstances up, but as I understood it, he went to a Barnes & Noble and did a reading there with other writers from that anthology and they didn't know it, but there were editors from DC mm -hmm. and Marvel in the crowd. And the editors came up afterwards and said to Scott and the others are like, you know, you, you nerds like comic books so much. Why don't you try writing them? Mm -hmm. uh, so Scott started to like actively pitch and started to get work from there. Sure. And so during this time he was, you know, we were talking, I was like, Whoa, you can actually write. Like, how does that, I want to write comic books. Yeah. Like man yeah. thing. He's like, he's like, well, he's like, he's just figuring shit out. He's like, well, this is what my pitches look like. And, you know, and, and so I started to pitch as well. And what I, and that was because he shared this information with me. Yeah. Um, and introduced me to Mark Doyle. So I put together this massive pitch uh, called red moon. Mm -hmm. And it was going to be a 30 issue original series for vertigo horror series. And Mark Doyle was like, um, you've never published a comic before. We're not giving you an original 30 issue series. <laughs> like, no, uh, but this is cool. I mean, stay in touch. But anyways, my agent was like, I like this idea a lot. Let's just make it a novel, made it into a novel. It was my breakout book. Like that was the book that sort of allowed me to quit teaching, but I never stopped submitting. I was submitting and submitting and submitting. So that was 2009 when I submitted Red Moon to Vertigo uh, in 2014, I finally got a yes. Mm -hmm. so that's a long time of trying to get in sure yeah and yeah and i finally got in you know a lot of my successes have been failures mm -hmm. um you know like if you cycle back to call that college story i told like i was on academic probation mm -hmm. and i remember asking my advisor who was one of the professors who failed me like what i should do and he's like you know not a lot of people have the guts to say this but not everybody's you know, right for college. Uh, basically telling me to drop out. So yeah. like, oh, I'm so stupid. And, you know, I was like walking out into the hall with sort of poison jammed up in my throat. He called after me and said, you know, it's weird that you're doing so poorly because you had the best application essay I've ever read. Huh. Um, and so that stuck with me. And that's one of the reasons I started to write in that journal that summer. Uh, but anyways, like I pivoted and found success in the same way, like Red Moon, a failure as a comics pitch, I pivoted, huge success as a book. Yeah. Uh, let's pivot again. Like, I sent this movie out, this movie script I wrote called Terminal. Sent mm -hmm. it all over Hollywood. Everybody said no. Again, me being sort of stupidly ambitious, looking <laughs> back on it. Uh, just like I'm like, here's my 30-issue series, you know, to Vertigo. In the same way, I was like, here's my, you know, $200 million movie. <laughs> yeah. Uh, instead of like setting it all in a bunker, <laughs> whatever you're supposed to do. Anyways, I thought the idea was pretty sweet. And so when Mark Doyle was like, okay, you've been bugging me for all this time. I have a two issue slot open in detective comics. What do you have? I was like, well, 
Uh, and I took that failed movie script and I pulled the main character out and put Bruce Wayne in. Mm-hmm. Right. And then, so that became my comics breakout, which was issues 35 and 36 of detective comics. And I was very luckily paired with JP Leone on that. Yeah. Uh, amazing. Who sadly died last year. Right. So mm-hmm. I had this really auspicious debut, which was predicated by a lot of no's. Sure. Yeah. A lot of stumbles. Um, so anyways, that is the genesis of like, my breaking and that I, you know, oh, oh, Scott Snyder, a, a few whiskeys for that one. Sure. <laughs> do you, do your, your friend Scott, is has he ever managed to get work? Is he doing okay? Is he? He's really struggling. He's, I mean, his, his erotic <laughs> haiku is pretty great. I'm sure. I'm sure. Even, even um, yeah. No, I'm, I'm curious, the, you talk about sort of recontextualizing your failures and reworking them you're at a point now and obviously you know nobody bats a thousand in this industry or even close but you're you're doing all these big books you're getting all this stuff made you're having all this success i would assume there are less failures laying around for you like you're 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 getting more hits than than things are getting rejected at this point do you feel like uh, I I I'm very familiar with the idea of of taking the thing and and it getting rejected and sort of ruminating on it and and poking it and seeing why it doesn't work and you know keeping it in the back pocket and I feel like that's an important development tool. Do you feel like you're m- missing that now that you're more successful? <laughs> like, do you not have stuff that you can think on for five or six years and be like, oh, this this would actually work for this? Well, I mean, you're right and you're wrong to some degree. Um, I recognize that I have had a lot of success and I'm very grateful for it, but you know, the bottom could fall out for me at any second, just like for anybody else. Uh, and I live in a constant state of, you know, anxiety, especially since I have kids about to go to college, Mm -hmm. uh, and we just toured some places in LA and they, you know, part of the tour is always like the presentation the slideshow mm-hmm. which ends with like the dollar amount like eighty thousand dollars <laughs> with room and board you don't need to go to college kid um <laughs> college so, isn't right for everybody you gotta just exactly, sometimes yeah. they won't tell you that we'll circle, right? <laughs> um so i i still you know have lots of i'd say rejection that i face you know and that mm-hmm. uh what I'm wrestling with right now is Hollywood. Sure. And most things do not get made in Hollywood. Yeah. So the way in which I'm approaching that is all about repurposing. Um, you know, if I take a, a project out and I f- it fails as a pitch, I'm writing it as a short story. Mm-hmm. Uh, or I'm writing it, you know, into an issue of Ghost Rider or Wolverine or something. Mm-hmm. You know, like that idea didn't work, but I'm going to find a way to make it work. Yeah. Uh, uh, you know, I took a show out last year and pitched it everywhere. Rejected. You know, I probably pitched it at 10 different, 10 different places. And mm-hmm. I spent months building up this pitch. Or even if you get the hit, right? Like I can't, I'm not allowed to say who I did this for. But let's say there is a major video game franchise, like mm-hmm. one of the big ones. And I wrote an animated pilot for them. Uh right and maybe i'm delusional but i think it's pretty fucking cool uh 
I, is it Tetris? I, I, you can just say if it's Tetris. <laughs> and and anyways, uh, basically the video game company hated me, <laughs> <laughs> and and it's not getting made. Uh-huh. Uh huh. And I've I've never met anybody so proprietary about like characters than a video game company. Like yeah. Well, the, the character would never say that. Yeah. Oh my God! You sent them a sexy haiku instead of the the animated series right, pitch. Right, right. A but sexy you know haiku what? about God of War or whichever one it was. Yeah. I took that idea and then I I won't say how, but I slipped yeah. it into Wolverine. You know? Oh, hell yeah! All right. So there's a there's an arc in Wolverine that was kind of me being like, "This is a good idea, and I'm going to freaking use it." Um, <laughs> so it's. I mean, I would say that rejection is is still very much present in my life and so is you know the fear that somehow things won't work out because everything in my life is freelance i have no job security sure yeah yeah so i like the big two you know i'm very grateful to work for marvel right sure. but there's going to be a point maybe it's five years from now maybe it's 10 years from now when marvel doesn't want to return my calls yeah you know because that happens to everybody yeah but like you know having a long-term game plan always thinking ahead is just part of being a freelance writer I, I remember talking to a writer who I won't name here, who's a, a great writer. And um, I was talking to him in a bar once and I was like, you know, uh, you're not really working at Marvel anymore. What happened? And he was like, I don't know. Ask them. And I was like, oh, that sucks. And and we sort of talked about it. And I was like, it's really terrifying idea as a freelancer that like this shit just goes away. And he was like, if it makes you feel any better, like, you know, it, it's just instantaneous. They just stop answering emails. Yeah. And I, well, I, was no, like, I, mean, I was like, why well, would that make you see Same thing happened. I got, I got lucky by being unlucky. Uh -huh. um, so here I am writing Nightwing. You know, I, I did pretty well with the whole rebirth launch. Sure. Green Arrow had 52 issues in total, counting the new 52 stuff that I had done. I had 52 yeah. issue run on the Green Arrow and the Teen Titans thing did pretty okay and and so here they give me nightwing and i'm excited and i get this two-year plan green lit uh and i'm in the middle of it and all of a sudden they're like okay so in batman nightwing gets shot in the head <laughs> and he has amnesia now. he doesn't remember anything uh and he's gonna be rick grayson instead of dick grayson yeah i was like well okay so we're going to do this for three issues or four issues, and then we'll, we'll come back to what I've been doing. They're like, no, no, no. This is forever. <laughs> and I was like, I'm not doing that. And they said, no, you, you, you have to do it. I, and so I said, you know, sorry, I, I quit then because everybody is going to hate me. Sure. You know, I will just, I'll just walk away from this because everybody's going to hate me. Yeah. They're going to blame me for doing this to Dick Grayson. And, and so I quit, but, I had already gotten hired for the Wolverine, the long night gig at Marvel. Mm -hmm. And so from there, I was able to transition into the comics end of Marvel as well. I got really lucky going back to where this conversation began, you know, all those people who are at DC with me, not all of them, but a lot of them, DC started to like get weird, sure. you know, the editorial, you know, staff is getting fired. Like mm -hmm. the editor in chief, you know, gets his walking papers like, uh, you know, the publisher gets fired. Like, everything got crazy for a while. Yeah. And I hear it's actually great over there right now, creatively. But yeah. but all these people got fired, and all of these writers got 
let go as a result of that as well. And I mean, people who have been working for DC for a long, long time, sure. suddenly no work. Yeah. Right. And I won't name them, but you just look at the rebirth roster and there's very few of those people still there. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it just kind of horrified me realizing like these companies, even if you have good friends within them, like the company itself, the end of it, you know, you're going to get set on the curb. Yeah. At some point. I, so don't think that like whatever is going on right now, that's, that's going well, that's not going to last. Yeah. So doing other things so that you have something waiting for you on the other end of that. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I think that's, it's great advice and it's also the kind of advice that's really hard to hear when you're in it because you're like this is great (laughs) you know like you always i remember hearing stories about you know like mc hammer where like people are like mc hammer was spending like you know half a million dollars a week on just like crazy stuff hammer pants hammer pants like just pants just material to make those pants (laughs) and uh no and 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 someone told me a story and i was like i don't understand how you do that like was he an idiot? And someone said, when you're making that much money, you, it's hard to imagine that suddenly, you know, and everybody loves you. It's hard to imagine suddenly they're not going to love you. It's, you can't sit there and be like, this all goes away. Like I keep making hits and then suddenly no one will play my song. Like you just don't think about that. That's just not natural to the course of things. I think because I grew up, you know, I mentioned I moved around a lot growing up, you know, like, you know, Sometimes my parents were like running a restaurant. Sometimes there's like uh, another company they're involved with. Like it was, you know, kind of a nomadic existence because of that. I'm just like constantly live in paranoia. Uh-huh. Uh, and, and so I'll, instead of buying like $500,000 worth of hammer pants, I will wear the same pair of hammer <laughs> pants for 10 years. Sure. Until they like rot off of me. So, uh, because I'm so paranoid there will be no money I, I, I really hope next time I see you that you're wearing a tattered patched pair of MC Hammer pants <laughs> and that brings us to the end of part one of our discussion with Ben Percy make sure to check out American Criminal The Sky Vault and everything else he's working on by giving him a follow on Twitter at Benjamin underscore Percy. To get the latest episodes of this podcast, as well as news, giveaways, and even comics delivered straight to your inbox, go to ashcanpress.com and sign up for the newsletter. We'll be back next week for part two of our discussion. And in the meantime, you can write to us at ideasdontbleedpod at gmail.com or tweet to Matthew Rosenberg at ashcanpress on Twitter, me at Tales to Astonish, or Griffin at Griff Sheridan. We'll include some of your correspondence on the show, and we'd love to hear what you have to say. And big thanks to Summer People for our theme song, Where's the Poison? Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you next time. Where is the poison?